Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I'm going to turn you to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47. Just a little something to share with you this evening. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 47. I'm going to title this message, if you, if you want to write it down, I'm going to call it Waterworks. Waterworks. Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines waterworks. That's probably a, a word that you've heard before. It's kind of an old-fashioned word. There's actually a Milwaukee waterworks. Um, Brother Matson and I used to sell software that competed with a company called SolidWorks. And it was a play on that thing. They put the word W-O-R-K-S after something and it means it, it does stuff. And the Webster's Dictionary defines waterworks as the system of reservoirs, channels, mains, and pumping and purifying equipment by which a water supply is obtained and distributed as to a city. Second is an ornamental fountain or a cascade. And the third is the shedding of tears. You ever hear that phrase? Somebody say, uh-oh, here comes the waterworks, Right? Waterworks. So Ezekiel chapter 47, we're going to start right at verse 1, and it goes like this. It says afterward, now just to set the stage briefly, real quickly, Ezekiel is in the middle or at the tail end of a massive vision that God is speaking to him. It actually begins in the 40th chapter, and it goes all the way through the 48th chapter, and it's a vision of Jerusalem. It's a vision of his kingdom, and, and God is speaking to him and showing him, and he's leading him places. And so the, the he in these passages, this, this sort of divine uh, tour guide that you're going to hear about here, is God giving Ezekiel uh, this message. He says in this part of, of the uh, of the prophecy in Ezekiel 47, he says, afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house. Okay, now this is going to be the uh, tabernacle, the, the, uh, uh, the church, if you will. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under from the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. That's how we know it's in the temple. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. In other words, they've gone out of the gate, now they're way down into the, moving out towards the city. Behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had led the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. And so what's happening is, is he's being led out of the temple, out towards the east. He's, this is Jerusalem. This is the temple in Jerusalem. And so if you know what that positioning is, they're heading towards the Dead Sea, okay? Heading east out of Jerusalem. And he carried with him a line. He's measuring. This is a big measuring tape, essentially. And he measures a thousand cubits, and he draws Ezekiel into the waters, and the waters are at his ankles, Remember that point. Verse four, again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters and the waters were to the knees. And again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters were to the loins or to the waist. Afterward he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And he said unto me, son of man, hast thou seen this? 
Then he brought me and he caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees. And on the one side and on the other. Then said he unto me, these waters issue out towards the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish. Because these waters shall come thither. In other words, they'll come alive, for they shall be healed. And everything shall live whither the river cometh. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi even unto Engalame. Then there shall be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds as the fish of the great sea exceeding many. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed, they shall be given to salt. And by the river upon the bank thereof and on the side and on that gate shall grow all trees for meat whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary and the fruit thereof shall be for meat and the leaf thereof shall be for medicine. You can be seated. Now, I know that was a really long 12-verse passage, so I won't make you stand anymore the rest of the night. But I hope as we were reading through, as my reading was enough so that you could understand, start to get a picture of what this is talking about. Ezekiel is being given by God a vision of New Jerusalem or the Jerusalem. And there's so much imagery here. There's so much power here when we talk about the terms of waterworks. Now we know throughout scripture the, the, the powerful message of water. It's the cleansing power. In some cases it represents the Holy Ghost. It's certainly an element that God uses according to his will for his purpose. It's a good thing. And so the, as you're going through, you start to get the imagery of what God is talking about and the power of this water, these water works. And I want to just take you through that tonight. Just a basic lesson, nothing super fancy, but it just, God really gave me this, he gave me the scripture this morning and I just dove into it and, and I wanted to, to really just share some thoughts with you on this. I think it's powerful. I think there's some, a wonderful message that Ezekiel's been given here. Now, first and foremost, there's a lot of talk about the east. And of course, we know, we know that the tabernacle, the door of the tabernacle was set to face the east. Jesus is, is, is going to come from the east. It's, it's, it's an imagery of facing God. Uh, it's a place of honor for God. And so the, the river is flowing to the east. And of course, I said, as you know, in Jerusalem, as it gets down to the lower basin, it's the Dead Sea. There's nothing in it. Now, it doesn't reference the Dead Sea here, but it's simply by geography and by measurement and what he's talking about. And he's talking about the waters becoming healed and thriving again. In, back in verse 1, it says that he stood toward the east and the waters came down from under the right side of the house. Now, again and again throughout Scripture, the right side, the right hand, the correct hand, it's, a, it's an image again of the proper, it's perfection, it's the way God's way would go. And so when it's coming out of the right side, that means it's God's using it for his purpose, for his power, for his glory, that it's a positive thing, it's a good thing. Right is correct, right is, 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 is lordship, right is honor, 
right? When the Bible says that Jesus sits on the right hand of God, it doesn't really mean that God's sitting up there on a throne and he's got a physical body and here's his right hand. God doesn't have a right hand. God's a spirit, right? It's talking about his correct hand of rule, his hand of power. And so we need to understand that this, this imagery of the eastward and to the right is so powerful that this is the will of God. This is the message from God. And so this man who's leading him, this angel of the Lord with this line is measuring him a thousand cubits at a time. This is going a long way. Now, it's something to point of, a point of interest, I think, that's interesting here is many of you may not know, but in, in the ancient world, Jerusalem was the only major city that was not built on a river. The only one. And so uh, they had springs and they had wells and they had all these things, but all these other major cities that they fought against and they dealt with and they worked with and traded with all had rivers that they sat on. But Israel didn't. Israel had springs and wells. So God is giving Ezekiel this incredible image of this river pouring out of the altar. By the way, this is represented in Revelation chapter 22 in the vision of heaven. Rivers of living water flowing from the altar. And so Ezekiel's getting this magnificent view, this, this a powerful image of waters coming from the altar. And when he says that the man took him by the hand, he took him into the waters, his water, the waters were ankle deep. So he's a thousand yards out and the water's ankles deep. So this is a big river and it's going a long way. And again, he measured a thousand and brought me to the waters and pretty soon he's up to his knees. And again, I measured a thousand. He brought me through the waters and they were to my waist. You see, the understand what's happening here is that Ezekiel is taking the path of the Christian walk. Some of us are in up to our waist. Some of us are in the waters and we're moving towards the middle and we keep on going, but some of us stop. Some of us may be still just a little ankle deep. Some of us might be just up to our knees. But God, in this message, he's, he's drawing Ezekiel further into the river, further into his power, further into his will. Verse 5 says, And he measured a thousand in the river I could not pass over, for the waters are risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. By this time, Ezekiel's feet would be coming off the bottom. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we just stay in our one place. We're just in the middle of the river and we're enjoying the flow and the life that the river brings. But are we ankle deep or are we knee deep or are we waist deep or are feet coming off of the river? Bottom. And what I'm saying tonight that God is revealing me through Ezekiel's message is I think that we have the opportunity right now to begin to move further deep into the river. Let go of the boat. Let's get stepping up and maybe our feet start coming off of that, off that bottom. What happens when you're swimming in a river and your feet come off the bottom? You start flowing with the current. See, because while we're standing still, Come on, follow me now. While we're standing still in the middle of the river, we're not going anywhere. Because when our feet are planted in the bottom of the river, our will is infecting that process. It's our will is part of what's going on there. But every step that you take to get a little bit deeper in the water, you're getting a little closer to floating up. Once your feet come off, you're at the mercy of the current. You're living in total and awesome faith. Think about that for a second. And he said unto me, son of man, I love it that, that he calls him son of man. He says, son of man, 
Hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to the return to the brink of the river, back up to the front. He says, now when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees. This is so significant. Why are the trees growing at the side of a river? Because they're, they're accessing the water, right? The roots are close to a water source and they're growing and flourishing. Look at Jeremiah 17, 7. Just to give you the idea, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 7. I apologize, I, I didn't, Brother Marty, I didn't turn my, my scriptures in, I forgot. Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, it says, Blessed is the man that trusteth. Remember, to get your feet off the bottom of the river, you've got to trust God. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as what? A tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when the heat cometh. See, there's so much water coming up in the roots that those leaves are going to be okay. You're soaking up that living water. But her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from doing what? From yielding fruit. We talk about this all the time. Yielding fruit, bearing fruit. What does that mean? Just being nice, just showing Galatians 5 stuff? Or does it mean affecting the people around us? Does it mean creating more of us? Does it mean being fruitful and multiplying within God's kingdom? Shall neither shall cease Yielding fruit, verse 8. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful. Now, we know this scripture, and I thought, I thought it was like, I, I forgot that this scripture was attached to this little portion. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We quote that all the time. Actually, we misquote it all the time. We always say, the heart is deceitfully wicked. It doesn't say that. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But listen what verse 10 says. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart, and I try the reins. You all know this. You're saying it with me. Even to give every man according to his ways, but this is the part that hits it, and according to the fruit of his doings. We're likened unto that tree that's planted by those living waters, waterworks, okay? It's not that spectacular. It's just, it's just kind of fun to dive in and see what God's saying in this. Look at John 15 and 16. It says, ye have not chosen me. This is Jesus now talking. He says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and adorned, ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Okay, he brings back that, that same imagery and that your fruit should remain. It should be strong. It should stay. It should be effective is what that means. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. But how are we going to bear that fruit? How are we getting it? By swimming in that water. Swimming across that river. Getting our feet off the bottom. Getting our roots planted in that tree. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's getting back into that living water. Folks, we've got to go back to Pentecost. I can't, I can't get away from that aspect. We've got to get back to Pentecost. We just got a little too far away. And if we can just get a hold of that and dive back into those rivers of living water and just let it flow and let it flow and let it flow. I see so many folks. I'm telling you, you should see the perspective up here sometime. I'm going to invite you all up. Just you guys that came tonight. I'm going to invite you all up and look out that way and see the people just ready to shake loose ready to shake loose, holding themselves back sometimes, not sure what to do because we're just that close. We're just that close to getting back to Pentecost. And I see it in them and sometimes I almost beg them, come on, let it go, let it go. It's gonna be all right. If you jump up and down and shout and praise God, if you dive into that river and just let those living waters flow, it's gonna be okay. 
Back to verse eight. Then he said unto me, these waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And again, we're talking about the Dead Sea. Now folks, just get this image in your head now. I'm drawing a lot of this imagery. We live in a world where we're waiting in seas full of dead people. Come on. It's a dead sea out there. How is the living water going to get from the altar, from the temple, and into the dead sea, but through you and me? Come on, we got to breathe living water into that dead ocean that we're swimming in every single day. If you're going to a job, if you're going to school, if you're going to the grocery store, if you have a neighbor, if you have got somebody you know, this isn't, I'm not attacking anybody. Understand, this isn't a criticism of those folks. I'm talking about people that just don't know God, but desperately need him. And we're swimming in an ocean full of people that are dead. But they can be alive can bring them life. Verse 9, and it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whither so the rivers shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish. Now how about that image? Because these waters shall come thither, and they shall be healed. Everything shall live, whither the river cometh. And it shall come to pass that the fishers, come on, who are the fishers? Do I have any fishers sitting in these seats tonight? The fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi even until Engalim. They shall be a place to spread forth their nets. Folks, there's going to be lots of places. Oh, I've talked to my friends. I talked to my family. They, won't, they just don't want to come. They don't listen. They don't care about church. Yeah, wait and see what happens when things get real rough. Suppose the wrong guy they don't like gets elected here in about three weeks. There's going to be places to spread forth your nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds. What does that mean? It means the people you're surrounded with, the people that you know, the people that you're associated with, that's who you're going to catch in your nets. Your kinds, the people in your circles. You see what he's saying? Isn't that beautiful? And the fish of the great sea exceeding many. There's a revival coming. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what God is showing Ezekiel. There's a revival of his people coming. The rivers of living water are flowing and it's flowing through you and me. We just got to get it down to the Dead Sea. We got to dive in there. We got to find a place to stand on the shore of Engedi and cast our nets. Catch the fish of our kind. Is this making sense or am I just way off in Lululand? Okay, because I got a scripture in Psalm. I could just teach a lesson on that. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19. He said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's who those fishers are that he's talking about in Ezekiel. Back to verse 11, it says, but the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. You know something? There's just a fact of the matter that some aren't gonna hear, some aren't gonna listen. All the waters are not gonna be healed. All the waters aren't, we're not, we're not gonna be successful. But you know what? Out of that, salt is extremely valuable. It's incredibly important. And there's some good result that comes out of that. But we can't stop. We can't give up. We can't say, well, this just, we just I'm, I'm in a clay. My feet are stuck in the bottom of the river. 
I'm in a miry place and I just can't seem to figure out how to get out. You know how to get out. I know how to get out, right? It's time. See, we have a will. We have a choice. We're not restrained at all right now. I could literally, at this very moment, I could say anything about the Bible that I want to. I can pick up my cell phone on the way home tonight. I can call any person that I know and say, I want to tell you my testimony. Times are short. I want to share what you with God did for me. Right? You understand, we have the will to do now what we want to do. We can go back to Pentecost. And by the river upon the bank thereof and on the side and on that side shall grow all trees for meat. Now what does that mean, meat? Obviously it means for food, for nourishment, for consumption. Whose leaf shall not fade, remember from the scripture in Jeremiah. Neither shall the fruit therefore, excuse me, thereof be consumed. In other words, it won't rot. This, this is everlasting fruit that he's talking about. This, this living water doesn't die. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary. That, that phrase there, according to his months. If you look in Revelation 22, it talks about the tree in the middle uh, of that beautiful garden, that new Jerusalem. There's one on either side of that river that's coming out of, out of the, uh, uh, out of the uh, altar in new Jerusalem. And it talks about 12 kinds of fruits growing, ever growing on those trees forever and of their months. In other words, there's there's a new fruit for every month. Just refreshing and everlasting. Because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary and the fruit thereof shall be for meat and the leaf thereof for medicine. And I thought that was an interesting term that was used in that place. In other words, for healing, for helping. In John chapter four, if you want to turn there with me. One time I was duck hunting. A lot of you know that I duck hunt. I go up with the guys in Crandon. But uh, at this point, I wasn't up there yet. I was still hunting out on the backwaters of the Mississippi. And most of the time, we hunt on the bogs or on the shores, and we set up blinds and stuff like that. But um, one of the guys had said, you know, you should, really, you should really bring along a pair of waders in case you ever have to retrieve a duck in the water that just isn't coming in. And it's not good to have dead duck laying there because the other ducks look at that as they fly over and go, whoa, I'm not going down there. One of my buddies is dead. That can't be good. And um, so I had a pair of waders in the boat. And sure enough, I brought down a beautiful woody drake. And it was right smack out in the middle of this little, this little waterway that I drive up in my flat bottom boat. And it was just sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. And I'm watching the birds fly off. And, and I'm going, okay, this guy's wrecking my hunt. So I go and I slip on these, these waders. And I don't know anything about waders. And I never wore them before. And... I step out. Now, this is the Mississippi backwaters. Well, I learned a little lesson that day because I almost wasn't here. But I just, something, one synapse just clicked. Just one. I don't know, maybe I ate my Wheaties that day or had a carrot the day before or something, but one good thought came. And that was before I stepped off the bank into the water, I grabbed a large tree branch, probably six inches in diameter, about this long. And I thought, if anything, maybe I can float on it. That didn't work. Or it might help me out of a jam. So I start stepping into the water, and I start sinking. It's muck. It's all muck. And I thought, okay, well, that's not too bad. I can still get this foot out, and I can still move. 
I took another couple of steps. Now I'm up to my knees. And the duck is like right there. Like, like just out, out of the reach. I'm trying to hit it with the stick and I can't get it. I thought, well, one more step. I mean, how deep could it be now? I'm probably on the bottom, right? So I pull it out and I get the thing back in, take my step. And I went down to my hip. And I started to lose my balance, so I quickly jerked this one out, put it down in the thing, and whoop. And now I'm in waist deep. I was with this guy. I was waist deep in that stuff. Now, here's the really fun part. We're all partners, so we all, we all go out at least two guys at a time, right? For safety purposes, you should do that. My hunting partner, partner is deaf. Stone cold deaf, like can't hear. He's a lip reader. Like he can't hear anything. Like freight train deaf. <laughs> so here I am standing about two-thirds out in the middle of this muck puddle. My duck is still a finger length away from me that I can't reach, and I'm stuck in the mud. And I stood there, and I've got this log in my hand, and I'm going, and I'm starting to panic. And I can feel my heartbeat just like this. And I'm thinking, well, I've got to stop doing that. I'm going to pass out and fall over in the water, and then it's all done. And the water's, I mean, and the water's, I mean, I'm in the waist up here, but the water's here, and my bib tops are right here. So I don't have a lot of room to move because I'm going to start filling my waders. So I'm yelling for the deaf guy. That's how panicked I was. I'm like, this will pierce. This will get through. He'll, suddenly God will heal him. He will hear, and he'll hear my cries. Now, Cliff and John know this guy, so they, they, my stories about this guy, they're laughing back there. But, of course, to no avail. <laughs> Because he, he's 100 yards away and he can't hear anything. Can't hear anything a foot away. Uh, wonderful guy, by the way. I did finally get the duck and I was covered in mud from head to toe and I walked back over to the duck and he's, what did you do? Um, so anyway, it suddenly hits me. I've got this big stick in my hand and I can't get my feet out of this muck. So I thought, well, I'm going to try to figure something out and release the, the, the suction, the air pocket. And I took that big stick and I jammed it down into the mud on the inside of my foot. And I slowly slid my foot up on that log. It took me the better part of 45 minutes to get about eight feet. And I thought I was going to die. Scared the tar out of me. It's a scary thing when you're standing out in the middle of that river. Now, thankfully, this was not rivers of flowing water. This was just kind of some stagnant, which is unpleasant too. But I'm standing in the middle of that water and I'm thinking, I'm going to die. Because my feet are stuck down in the clay, down in the muck. And I can't get them out. I shouldn't have stopped moving. That's the point. Because next hunting season, now I, I finally did. I was able to pull one leg out. And what I did is I sort of pulled my foot out of the boot a little bit and I made it like a flipper. And I flipped it up onto the muck and I just sort of made it like a big, more surface area, right? Harder to sink. And so I walked up there like a penguin, like this. So I couldn't sink back into the muck. The next season, I was in a similar spot, very nearby. And I was there with my son, Kyle. And we were just doing our normal hunting, but some goofball narked on us and said we were shooting too many birds, which we hadn't. We had two birds and a blind. And all of a sudden, I hear this loud helicopter-like noise, and I look down the little waterway, and here comes a DNR in a swamp boat, flying, coming right at us toward the bog I was standing on. Anyway, he cuts the engine, runs up to the front of the boat, 
right into the water, boop, 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 right up onto the bog. Like six steps in the water, in the muck. The same muck I was stuck in a year before. I looked at him and I said, dude, how did you do that? He said, don't stop moving. That's the secret. Don't stop moving. Needless to say, I never took my waders up because I didn't want to be tempted to use them. And I never did that again. I let the ducks lay there and found I got better at shooting and so I made them fall down in my blind and not go in the water. That's a true story too, but I always used to get them fall in the blind. The point is, is when you're in the middle of the river, it's time to swim. See, because it said in the passage, the river wasn't passable, but it wasn't passable by walking across it or standing still. But it said it's water that you can swim. Now, if your feet come off the ground, off the bottom, off the muck, now you can flow with the current. Now you can flow by faith. And you can let God carry you where, you're gonna, where he wants to carry you, and you can do a little bit of swimming, right? So if you get a little tired, you can get over to that other side and get on the bank, but all you have to do is take your feet off the bottom. Don't let them plant. Don't sink into the ground. Don't get stuck in the mire part of that muck because all you've got there is hopefully a chance to stick, stick in the ground and maybe dig yourself out. But if you take your feet up off the bottom of the river, and let that current flow. See, I didn't have that choice. There was no current. I would have just gone back down. You see where I'm coming from? That's what I believe that God was trying to tell Ezekiel. John chapter 4. And I'm closing right now. John chapter 4, starting at verse 10, says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of, the, of this water. Now this is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. We know this parable really well. The woman at the well. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. He's talking about the well water. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him. A well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. You see, the truth is, is, is we're the source. We're the altar. We're the temple of God. This right here, this this ugly red muscle right inside my chest is, is the holding place. It's the temple of God. It's where the rivers of living water flow. Look at John 7, 38 and 39. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now that doesn't literally mean in your gut where your food goes. It means with inside you. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, he's talking about the Holy Ghost that's going to come. Jesus is going to transform. He's, he's leaving this earth. And he's going to be that comforter as he promised us. He's going to be that spirit and it's going to come. He's just talking about it a little bit in advance. You see, we're the source of that living water. We're the, we're the, the bellies of, of living water. The belly coming out of the living water is us talking. It's getting a hold of that Holy Ghost again. What are you talking about, Pastor? What in the world does this have to do with it? What I'm talking about is Pentecostal Holy Ghost revival. Getting through that river, being the source of the living, living waters that are going to flow down to the Dead Sea that we live in every single day. The people that are there that can't swim, can't move because they're just corpses laying there. They don't know God. 
All they know is this life and this earth. We're the source of that living water. We're the ones that are going to let that flow. The presence of God that comes through us is going to be that source. We got to have that Holy Ghost revival again. What is it? What will it take, I wonder? Is it so wrong? Is it so uh, such a, a strange thing to think that the Holy Ghost can sweep through this place on any given service, any given prayer night, and powerful, amazing, miraculous things happen as we begin to open up our mouths and let those rivers of living water flow? It's great practice time. It's the opportunity. We're safe zone here. We all know each other. We have the opportunity to let that thing fly, get well versed in it. Get some muscle memory of letting that spirit go because when you're standing there in the middle of the Dead Sea and you're talking to somebody who's saying, my life is broken. I don't know where to turn. I'm hurting so bad. Guess what'll happen? That muscle memory will kick in and those rivers of living water will begin to flow from your mouth as the scriptures come and you start to share that testimony and they feel and they see God through you. That's what this is all about. That's what abundant life needs more than anything right now. We need a Holy Ghost revival like we've not seen in decades. So we can get powerful, inversed in that rivers of living water flowing from us. Jeremiah chapter 2 and 13, and you can stand. I'm closing. Jeremiah chapter 2 and 13 simply says this. It's a warning. Jeremiah is lamenting, as you know, the judgment that's about to come on Israel, the things that they're doing wrong. They've turned from God. He's constantly trying to warn them. He's the weeping prophet. He's the, the prophet that wrote Lamentations. He's getting the word from God. The destruction is about to come. He says in Jeremiah 2 and 13... For my people, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, for my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Second, they have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Cisterns are clay pots. Man yet, at that point, and I don't even think now, has had the technology or could have the technology to create a pot that could hold that water that would not eventually fail. They would break. But worse yet, when you take living water, moving water, like that stagnant swamp that I was standing in, in my duck hunting area. They just like it that way, by the way. That's just where the ducks go. But when you pour that living, flowing water into a cistern, it's not flowing anymore. It's stagnant. It's not living. And it begins to spoil. And so what he's saying is that my people have forsaken me. They've forgotten me, the fountain of living waters. Now, do you think they really just didn't think about God anymore? They just totally forgot about him? Or what he's saying is, is they've turned away from the living waters that I flow. And then maybe when he said he's hewed, hewed them out cisterns, he's made cisterns. You want to take my water, in other words, my blessings, everything I've given you, instead of letting it flow and keep on flowing with it and flow it to the next person and flow it to the people that need it, maybe you just took that water and you poured it into a cistern and it began to stagnate. 
Now it's not flowing anywhere anymore. It's not helping anybody. As a matter of fact, it's probably bad for people at a certain point. But here's the problem. You, it's not that easy just to pick that pot up and make water flow again. As a matter of fact, oftentimes those pots, because they were just made out of clay and dirt, they would fail. And then you lose the water. And so God was warning Jeremiah and saying, they're making two big mistakes. They've cut themselves off from the living water and they took what little they had and stuck it in a man-made pot. So I think we have the opportunity to turn the water up. Let's let it flow a little bit more. Let's keep it flowing. And don't even think about fashioning yourself a cistern and put that water in and hide it away. Let's keep it flowing. How about that? Let's keep it flowing. Can we just lift our hands tonight? You don't have to shout and yell and jump and holler, but it wouldn't, be, it, wouldn't it be awesome if we had a room full of apostolic Pentecostals who right this moment stopped talking English, stopped worrying about praying in that and just spoke in that beautiful language. Let that living water flow from you. Let's get some practice on that right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.